0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So we are busy with the series uh, Victorious and we, we're wrapping things up this morning and the subtitle is Victorious Through Jesus Love. Because that's ultimately what victory is all about, what Jesus accomplished for us. And so any form of victory that falls outside of what Jesus accomplished for us is not a victory that will necessarily remain. For example, who of you have been sick some at some point in time in your life here on earth? Can I just uh, see by show of hands? Man, some of you have never been sick. That's awesome. <laughs> Come talk to me afterwards. I want to know how that feels. Um, no, that's awesome. Like uh, that's a great like expectancy to have and to to even bold towards towards that because being sick shouldn't be just a normal thing for us. It shouldn't just be, oh, I like yo, oh, I just get sick every year at this specific time and it's okay. No, it should never become okay for us to be sick because sickness is oppression from the devil. Okay, but ultimately, some of us have gone through through times of of sickness and experiencing sickness. So that means that what Jesus accomplished for us isn't directly linked to healing or wholeness in that regard. Because it comes and it goes and it changes for us all as we put up our hands right now. But one thing that does not change is the fact that Jesus died for your sins and that you've got right standing with God 24-7, regardless of how bad a week you had, regardless of how many times you lost your temper, how many swearing words you said while watching rugby and Uh, Told the ref to go, do this and that and the next thing. God doesn't hold our sin against us. Hebrews 10 verse 17 says that, I will never, ever again remember your sins and your iniquities. God does not remember, He does not hold our sins against us. David uh, writes this for us in the Psalms and says, As far as the, the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. How far is the east from the west? Immeasurable. There's no distance. And so it's important to understand these things and to remember these things. So being victorious all hinges on what Jesus accomplished for us through His death, resurrection, and outpouring of His Spirit. just want to recap quickly. Last week, God will shed uh, a great word on the fruit of um, choosing this victory, and He ministered on That was the title, right? The fruit of uh, uh, choosing this victory. And one of the things that blessed me from the message was he said, uh, uh, firstly, peace is a a byproduct of this victory. And that's something very important to understand because uh, how many of us and how much of this world is seeking peace? Seeking peace. Like, Peace is a valuable asset, if I can call it that, in this world. People are seeking it continually in various ways and various things. They try and find it in specific positions. They try and find it in uh, specific exercises and destinations and all sorts. But ultimately, the peace that God came to give us is perfect. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The Gospel is called the Gospel of Peace. So if you're not experiencing peace, then it means that you have attached your peace to something other than the Gospel, other than Jesus, but if you're attaching your peace, your joy, to the gospel of Christ, it cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken away from you. That is why it's so important to understand, what does victory mean for us as believers, as children of God? And then I love the God will just touch on this a little bit, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more at some point in time. As he said, once saved, always saved. Otherwise, what Adam did is greater than what Jesus did. And that's something we don't kind of connect the dots to, understanding that once we save, we always save because what Jesus did is greater than what Adam did. The fall of man isn't greater than the resurrection of Christ. Some of you don't believe it, and uh, that's why you will not experience the victory that comes with believing that, because that's ultimately where victory lies—is in whether you believe what the Word says. Or don't believe what the Word says. had interesting, I say interesting just to kind of not make it sound too gloomy. I um, had an interesting meeting with, um, with, with someone this past week, uh, or a couple this past week. And I won't uh, divulge too much details other than that, uh, so you don't start wondering who this couple was. Um, and it's amazing how much Bible they know. But you know what's more amazing? How little they're experiencing what the Bible talks about. Some of you here this morning, you know a lot of Bible, but you would never tell. Apart from you saying the right things, talking the talk, but there's no walking of the walk. So on on that note, a good word is a challenging word. We need to understand that Living out this victory isn't going to come by by chance. We looked at this already um, in one of the previous settings that this victory is a choice. But this morning specifically, um, coming back to God's word, the series is online. It's also uh, on the the barcode, the link tree um, link there. The series is also there if you wanted to catch up on that. But this morning, when I look at this victory, transforms everything. This victory transforms everything. So an opening question: Who of you desires? <clears throat> to see fruit and change in your life. If you desire to see more fruit, more change in your life, it's good. Sometimes when I ask these questions, like I make mental notes of who raises their hands and who don't. So then I, like, I'm, I'm being more strategic and purposeful about who needs more prayer and who needs to go onto my hit list. No, I'm just joking. Um, but uh, all of us desire more fruit, more change in our lives, and it's good. Having that desire is good. But uh, oftentimes, we don't have the same will power to do what is needed to see that change come to be, right? So we have to ask ourselves the question as well, are we willing to do what is needed to be done to see that change and transformation in my life that I desire? Am I willing to do what is needed? Because ultimately, everyone in this room, all of the guys at least, um, we won't mind having a six-pack. Some of us already have six-pack, so like it's not applicable maybe to you, um, but we won't mind having a six-pack. None of us, if one morning we wake up and we've got a six-pack, we're going like, oh man, I have a six-pack. That sucks. No guy would ever utter those words. Because a six-pack just for some reason looks cool. Like, who's, who's seen the movie 300? <laughs> My goodness. Like, those guys look pretty cool, I must say. And... Um, and uh to put it it in context for for the ladies, maybe, like, no one here would probably mind dropping a a dress size, or, um, it's funny, talking about weight with guys seems more, like, um, kind of (laughs) jokey than talking about it, like, in context with the ladies, so, like, I have to, like, tread lightly, but, again, I think no lady would wake up one morning, be like, oh, I dropped the dress size, that just sucks, man, like, how did that happen? Like, it would be, like, nice, it would be a blessing, but the point is this, that I'm trying to make, is that All of those things, the change and transformation that we desire to see in our lives, none of it happens by accident. It happens by purpose, by intentionality. So are we willing to do what is needed to see the change and transformation, the fruit in our lives that we see in the Bible, that we see in other believers, that we see in history, like men like Paul and Peter and the disciples of Jesus, how they transformed radically the history of this world. The question to consider is, have you experienced change since receiving the gift of life, Jesus? Have you experienced change since receiving the gift of life, Jesus? The answer to your question, whether yes or no, isn't, isn't in God's hands. It's very important. The change you want to see, the fruit that you want to see in your life, the desire to see that change... If you have or if you have not seen radical change in your life since receiving the gift of Jesus, has got nothing to do with whether God wants that or doesn't want that. The fact of the matter is that He wants it. Jesus said that in John chapter 15, if you bear much fruit, you will bring much glory to my Father. That is, that is by default we need to understand that having and bearing fruit in our lives is a good thing. It glorifies God. And so God desires that for us. God wills that for us. We see that throughout the Word. And so His will doesn't automatically come to pass. See, some of you almost fell off of your chair now. God's will does not automatically come to pass. Another way that we know this is that some people hear the Gospel and they reject the Gospel. But God's will for them is to receive the Gospel, to receive the gift of life, Jesus. Jesus. So that is God's will. It does not happen by accident or by default or by choice or just because He wills it. So, conclusion, God's will does not automatically come to pass. We need to respond to His will. We need to respond to His leading. So let's get to a very important question. What is true? Truth isn't something that changes. It doesn't change over time. Truth is backed up by years and years of foundations laid. It's not just one morning you wake up and you're like, okay, cool, that is truth. That's not how it works. The world wants to determine truth like that. And the world's definition of truth and reality changes continually. So that is not ultimate truth, because truth and what is true hasn't changed, it will never change, and it's backed up by years and years of foundations laid. The absolute truth of who Jesus is and what God's plan was from the beginning of time is what everything needs to be filtered through. Whatever we determine as truth right now needs to be filtered through the foundation of this world, the creation of God, what He had determined from the beginning of time. So every other form of truth that isn't filtered through this ultimate truth of Jesus is In essence, just deception and a lie. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. It doesn't matter how close it looks to the truth. If it contradicts the message of Christ and what He came to die for us for, it is a lie. John 1 verse 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything Made that was made. So what is John basically communicating here? Firstly, in the beginning, God was. And everything that has existed since that very moment has got a foundation, and it needs to be folded through that foundation. Anything that has ever existed needs to be defined as life or death, truth or lie based upon the foundation of God's word and the message of Christ. I'm linking those two words because death and life is linked to truth and lie. So any form of death or where there's a, there's a the, the ultimate destination is death, it's because a lie was believed. Any form of life is the result because of a truth that has been received. That is the essence of the Bible and how we determine truth and how we experience the life that Jesus came to bring us. If we don't base our lives and define truth based on this very important factor, death or life, truth or lies... Will never truly experience the change that comes with receiving the greatest gift of all time, Jesus. Second Corinthians five seventeen and twenty one says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature; all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, or have become new." Verse twenty one: For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I love these verses. I love uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's it's amazing. It's powerful. And there's so much we can draw from verse 17 verse 21, but we're not going to get into everything that that God wants to uh, draw from this, but please uh, allow the Holy Spirit to take you down a rabbit trail for a moment, make a note or so. And throughout the the word there's only so much that I can get into in a specific time frame, and that's sometimes why we've got series, but even within the series There's a specific message that we want to focus on, a specific point that we want to maybe elaborate on, but there's many other things that God maybe wants to reveal to you personally. And He wants to reveal things to you personally, specifically. And so make notes of those things. Don't kind of lose the whole message because you're going down that rabbit trail. Make a note of those things and allow God to minister to you. Go back to those things in your personal devotion and stay on track also where the Holy Spirit is leading us as a family together because there's obviously something He wants to do uh, through us as a family together as well. So the truth is that what happened to you when you receive Christ is radical. We were one kind of creation or creature, and then through receiving the gifts of Christ, we become a completely new. It's not a fixer-upper kind of thing. It's not a, you were a pot, you were broken, you fell on the floor or on the ground, and then God picked you up, all of the pieces, and He glued you back together, and you can see all of these cracks. And yes, ultimately, in some way or form, uh, soulishly and physically, you might still have cracks. Things that you're working through, things that you need to receive healing for and and process and and, uh, receive restoration in, and that is fine. But spiritually speaking, which is what this context is all about, spiritually speaking is, you were dead. You had no life in you. And you received a new nature. Alive with God, righteous and holy. New creature. All things have passed away. That old sinful nature has passed away. Now why do you still sin? You might ask is because your mind is not renewed and you're acting contrary to your new nature. Why are you acting contrary to your new nature? Because you haven't come to know your new nature. You haven't come to know your heavenly Father. Because as you come to know your heavenly Father, the saying will become true. As Father, like Father, like Son. Or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Christianity is not about doing. Christianity is about believing. Believing that God is good, that what God says about you is more true than what you've ever believed about yourself. That comes with time. That comes with purpose and intentionality again. We need to understand that the miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle of all time. But that doesn't excite us because it's not necessarily seen tangible. Right, The Spirit within cannot always be seen. Can actually not in any fact be seen. We cannot determine when you look at someone. Sometimes you can, like, see, okay, cool, that person is saved. But sometimes you can't. Because the spirit within is not always tangibly seen or experienced in a, in a, in a sense. And so it's not as extravagant, it's not as glamorous as the parting of the Red Sea, for example, or the raising of the dead, or the, 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 The um, opening of blind eyes. All of those things are more exciting, right? Don't put up your hand. It's not more exciting. It's just carnal. Say carnal with me. Carnal. Carnal. It means flesh. It means of the senses. It's emotional. And that doesn't mean those things are wrong. Because Jesus did them. God was part of those things. But what God has always been concerned about from the beginning of time is your heart, your spirit, being one with you. And that's what Jesus came to make a reality. And that is what the Bible's message is. And so that is what we need to place such a high value and appreciation on that none of the other things sway us or or, or carry more value in our lives. The seeing of those things or the the wanting to see and experience those things. Because salvation is the greatest miracle of all time. And we need to, to experience this, and we need to unlock our minds to what does this mean, because if this was God's plan from the beginning of time, which it is, if this is the greatest miracle of all time, salvation should look radically different for us. Our lives should look radically different to before we receive Christ and after receiving Christ. Thank you, Haley. Can I get two or three more amens? Amen. So again, if you don't believe it, you will sit in your blessed assurance your whole life until the reappearing of Christ, and your life will look... It's very sad, very superficial... And very similar to before you receive Christ and after you receive Christ. What would probably change is you might go through the seasons of life of marriage, having kids, having grandchildren, being able to buy a house, having a few cars, having more wrinkles, and that's about it. And guess what? The unbeliever also goes through those seasons of life. So we should look different to the unbelievers in this world, right? Because what Jesus did in the miracle of salvation is not just the, oh, by the way, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian now, and whoop de doo John 8.32, For if you embrace the truth, it will release freedom into your lives. King James says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's only the truth that we know, the truth that we come to embrace, the truth that we... Are fully persuaded by believing without a doubt and fully convinced of that is able to set us free. It's not just a so by the way truth. It's not just a let's write a, a test or an exam and see how well we do, whether we get our 80% the A kind of student kind of truth. It's not just that. It's so much more than an intellectual knowledge. But it starts with an intellectual knowledge, right? Uh, for, 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 a truth to to strike a chord in our hearts and to become a foundation of our lives, it needs to start with an intellectual thing, right? Hearing something or reading something. So that is the the, the passage towards receiving revelation. But it starts somewhere. So that's why the, the importance of the Word and being rooted and grounded in the Word is vitally important. Because it's through that that we become persuaded by the truth of who Christ is, the truth of Jesus He's light. His message. We need to understand that growing in this truth and, and coming to know this truth is not just a once of decision. It's not just a once of decision of obedience, but it's a, it's a life of obedience. And some of you, I know, don't like obedience. Probably because you've obeyed and people have hurt you, or you've seen the negative components of obedience. Another word for obedience is submission. And some of you don't like that word either. And if you don't like the words of obedience, of submission, don't chuck out the baby with the bathwater. Because I'm pretty sure all of us use money, right? But who of you know that there's fraudulent money in this world? So why, why don't you just stop using money if there's fraudulent money in this world? Because, just because there's fraud doesn't mean I need to chuck out the rest of the system. And so while we show so harsh towards the Bible and invitations of the Bible of obedience, of submission, just because we've had bad experiences, let's not fall for the cunning devices of the devil. Because the greatest thing that he would probably want you to do is to disobey. Because what is disobedience rooted in? Unbelief. Unbelief that God is good, that His invitations are good, that His ways are perfect, and that we co- when we come into agreement with that, believing, obeying, it produces fruitfulness in our lives. I've experienced this. I'm continuing to experience this, even within my marriage. There's a mutual submission, and it's a blessing. It's not a curse, it's not a burden. So the truth of Jesus, of who He is, and what He came to accomplish for us, is truth that we need to continually investigate and, and work through and process. Revelations 12, 11 says, And they conquered Him completely through the blood of the Lamb and the powerful word of His testimony. They triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lives even when faced with death. That's not encouraging. Let's, I don't know how this verse got in here. Because um, we're just supposed to talk about the the nice things, right, in church. The nice things, the the flowery things. If you actually, like, just stop and pause. Consider this for a moment. If you actually go and read the Bible, the New Testament letters specifically, Paul, for example, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, he was in prison more than anything else. Okay. So if we just consider that quickly for a moment. How did the the, the Christian church and the message of the the Christian church become a message of comfort? How did it get there? It was never supposed to go there. And so this verse, they conquered Him completely through the blood of the Lamb. firstly our victories in Christ and what Christ accomplished for us but also the triumph that we get to experience is by not clinging to our own lives and loving our own lives. Amen or Omi? We'll get into into more of that in a moment. But we need to be in agreement with this truth and what Jesus accomplished for us, what Jesus died for us for coming to believe this, being persuaded by this, speaking this, living this. And then ultimately also choosing not to cling to our own lives. And our own lives is not a a matter of only death and life in a sense, but it's also the things we value. The things we value, the things we cling to, the things that dictate our decisions, determine what we choose to do, what we choose to spend our money on, what we don't spend our money on. Question, are you willing to embrace this victory in its full? The victory of Christ's death, what He accomplished for us. Are you willing to embrace this victory in its full? If we aren't willing, or if we aren't open for change, we'll never experience it. So it doesn't matter if you say, I want to experience this victory and it's full. But you can't come to terms and openness to accept change. Because change is part of the process. Without change, there's no maturity. There's no maturing. There's no moving forward. If we aren't willing to give up some things, we'll never truly and fully walk in this victory if we aren't willing to give up some things. And I I know it's counter the Christian culture and the Christian message because I thought Jesus came to give give me all things. All things unto life and godliness. He came to bless me with all (laughs) all spiritual blessings so that I can have a nice life here on earth. if we aren't willing to give up some things, we'll never truly and fully walk in this victory. Now what I'm not saying, because some of you are thinking this, what I'm not saying is that you're a bad person and you're going to go to hell. It's not what I'm saying. But the victory that Jesus purchased and accomplished for us will only truly be experienced to the degree that you are willing to surrender your life as a living sacrifice. And none of us like the word sacrifice apart from the brides we might have later. This is super important for us because this life of victory and the, the radical transformation that we'll look at in a, in a few moments um, is what God desires for us. Not just superficial Christianity where our lives look pretty much the same as the unbelievers around us. God had a perfect plan. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it. And so God in His infinite wisdom, love, and foresight had a plan and He accomplished it and us receiving Jesus, the gift of life, is that very plan. Surely, before that plan and receiving that and after, should look worlds apart. Right? Or am I, like on a, am I living in a different world? Like am I on a different planet? So we have to ask ourselves this question, how much has my life changed since receiving Christ? And am I willing to do what is needed to see that change and see more change come to pass in my life, more transformation so that it's actually a life that represents true victory, true freedom, and a life laid down? Hebrews 4, verse 8 to 11, "...now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come." So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. We will not succeed. We will experience defeat, in a sense. So what is this obedience talking about? It's not talking about the obeying of the Ten Commandments. It's talking about faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because faith in its essence will always lead to obedience. That's why James says faith without works is dead. Because faith will lead to obedience, will lead to action. What you believe determines everything that you do. For example, all of you believe that tonight at 9 o'clock, the Springboks are playing Tonga. You believe that. How do I know that? Because tonight at 9 o'clock, you'll switch your TV on, probably before 9, and be expecting for that game to start. So, your actions are in alignment with your belief. So, whatever you believe determines the life you are living. And so, the blessing here that we find in Hebrews chapter 4, and the, 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 the letter of Hebrews is, is an awesome letter you need a lot of study to properly dissect and interpret and understand this letter. And maybe one day we'll uh, work through the whole letter and that will probably be a whole year of uh, uh, teaching. But one of the things that we need to understand is that Jesus accomplished a rest for us. And we get to experience that rest. And that rest is a form of victory. But with that victory, it's not just a once-off decision. Yes, once-off We're in perfect rest by receiving the Spirit of God. But experiencing that perfect rest comes by making daily decisions of obedience. And obviously there's a lot of things that has caused us to be anti-obedience, to be anti-disciplines, to be anti-submission. But again, don't allow your bad experiences of those things deter you from experiencing the fruitfulness of God's Word and the invitation from God to obey, to submit, to surrender, to lay down. Because Jesus, Jesus who was God, laid down His life for you. Became a servant. So we too can do The same works as Jesus. The same works doesn't always have to be healing, signs and oneness. But it can be the very supernatural fact of laying down your life for someone else through acts of service, blessing those who are cursing you, loving those who are persecuting you. In closing, transformation looks... Transformation should look radical. The transformation of our new birth and salvation should look radical. A life that has tasted and seen Jesus looks radically different. It's a life living in a way that is completely different to the status quo. It's a life living above the natural, living the supernatural. If what Jesus died for hasn't radically changed your life, we're missing something. Amen? So again, does your life look radically different to when you receive Christ? If not, what are you going to do about it? God's not going to do anything about it, just so by the way. So stop waiting for God to do something about your life, the state thereof, and how it is looking today. He's done what He wanted to do, and He's there to lead you and to guide you, but you're going to have to make decisions. There's choices for you to make. A nice uh, challenging statement. Jesus didn't die for us to have nice Sunday gatherings. He didn't die so that we can talk about Him and sound spiritual and holy. He died to give us completely, radically different lives than what we would have had without Him. So consider that. Is the life you're living now a life you could have very much lived without receiving Jesus into your life? Is the life you're living right now a life that you could have very much lived without receiving Jesus into your life? Is the state of your life and how it is going currently, the decisions you're making, where you find yourself, is it a life that you could have had without ever receiving Jesus Christ? But there's more for us all. There's more, and we need to press into that more. I just want to close with a few examples for us just quickly. Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about believers, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. This was Saul, which was, if you didn't, didn't know the, the story, which later on became Paul as he encountered Jesus. So here we find a man that one moment is persecuting the church of God, slaughtering them, imprisoning them, and then something happens. He meets Jesus. And he meets Jesus in such a way that his life becomes a life of going to church on Sundays, having good Bible studies, and giving to the poor, and kind of being a nice guy all around. No, 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 no. Saul becomes Paul, radically... Transformed life so much so that eventually dies a martyr of the gospel. Peter denies knowing Jesus three times, and later on, dies a martyr of the gospel. The list goes on. Every one of the disciples of Jesus died as martyrs of preaching the gospel, except for John. So something happened, and it was radical. So the question is this, is the lives that we're living today radically different to the lives we had before receiving Christ? And if not, what are we going to do to bring about that change? What are we going to do to respond to this, this message and press into this so that it becomes the radical lives that Jesus came to die for? Closing two passages. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. From the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Say embracing. Embracing, embracing is responding. So it's not this... this, this seeing this transformation, seeing this radical change in our lives is not as much of a like, oh, now I have to do this. God is going to send me to India. God is going to send me to Iraq and Iran and uh, all of these places to preach the gospel. and It's just going, going to be heavy. and like, Yes, it will be difficult if you go there. But you'll have an empowering to endure because you're responding to a radical life, a radical love, that goes beyond any human reason, it does not make sense. That is what radical is all about. And Jesus died, and what He accomplished for us was radical, a miracle. And so, we need to desire this. Because without the desire, without the actions and the responding and the obedience to the desire, it will just be a pipe dream. And I don't want to be a pipe dream Christian. I don't know about you. So, because I don't want to be a pipe dream Christian, I'm going to let you know from the, from the beginning, if you're kind of sussing us out still a bit, which most of you aren't, um, I'm going to challenge you continually because I'm being challenged. And so it's going to come through in the messages and how we're communicating, and this is our ministry and what we build upon, to go into the world Make the dream of God a reality for the world to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Embracing what God does is the best you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Again, don't be the kind of believer whose life doesn't look radically different to when you receive Christ and since you've received Christ. Because that does no good to the unbelieving world around you. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants you to do and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Why? As you readily recognize what He wants from you and quick, quickly respond to it. Why can we recognize and respond to it? Because we believe that He's good. And what he asks for us is only good. If you don't believe that he's good, if you don't believe that he is a good father and that his will for your life is perfect, holy and abundant fruitfulness, you will not readily recognize what he wants from you, and you will not respond to it. And that's where much of the Christian churches, because they do not know their loving Father, and so they're not going to trust him to do what he's leading them to do. Ephesians, in closing, gives us a very good idea of how to bring about this kind of transformation, additional to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 to 7, in closing. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Identity. We are sons and daughters of a King who loves us, who calls us, who made a way where there was no way, who's radically set us up for a life of victory. But a life of victory needs to be determined and defined through what Jesus died for, what Jesus was raised for, and what Jesus poured out His Spirit for. Oneness with God and empowering to live radically different lives. So radical that how we look before we receive Christ to after receive Christ is a matter of life and death. Light and darkness. Paul is an example. Peter and every one of the other disciples. All of them fled, Mark says. All of them fled. And they all forsook Him and fled. Mark 14, 15. 15. And then something changed. So much so that all of them died. Preaching the very message that they knew would cost their lives. That's radical. Why? Because what Jesus died for was radical. What you have living on the inside of you is radical power and life ready to bring about change. But are you willing... To respond to, yield to, his leading so that that radical transformation can have its full course in your life. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.com.